If you've been wishing, hoping, and dreaming about taking your business from six figures to multi-six figures or multi-six figures to seven figures, then I want to make sure you get our new free guide, the multi-six and seven-figure scaling roadmap. Inside the guide, I pull back the curtains and I shared all the strategies that I used and they can help you too. First, they can help you triple your monthly sales. I shared proven strategies with you that led to a 3x increase in my monthly sales. Second, I show you exactly how to crush your limiting beliefs. Say goodbye to doubts like, you can't charge that much and there aren't enough ideal clients for you too. Third, how to only work with ideal clients. I show you how to become the go-to expert and attract only the perfect clients and referrals. And finally, I show you how to quantum leap to $20,000 plus every single month. I show you exactly how to take a quantum leap from $8,000 per month, for example, to $20,000 a month. You can absolutely break through your upper limit barrier and enjoy five and six figure months every single month. Make 2024 your dream come true year by downloading your free guide today. Just click the link in the show notes below. Welcome to Double Your Sales, your resources to selling strategies, tips, and best practices to take your performance to the next level. There's no reason you can't double your sales. So let's get to it with your sales coach, Ursula Menches. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Double Your Sales Now, where you learn all the tips, mindset shifts, tools, and strategies to two times your sales in any niche. I'm your host, Ursula Mentis, and I can't wait to dive into today's show with Brandon Webb. I'm going to tell you about him in a minute. I think you're going to be blown away. And I just want to say first, hello to Brandon. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Ursula. Glad to be here. I'm so glad. I know this is going to be one of those shows that our listeners love to listen to and will probably listen to a couple times. And speaking of listeners, I want to thank you all. Since we launched in the spring, we're now being downloaded in 36 countries. I appreciate all the five-star reviews you guys are leaving. It means a lot. And just the emails we're getting from people all over the world. I know for some of you, you might be listening on your best day in business. And for some of you, maybe one of your toughest days. And I hope our show lifts you up and out of that so you can keep going. Before we dive into today's show, I just want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor today. And I want to thank Tenacious. They have sponsored again. They're a social media company here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And here's what they've got for us. They say, all right, I've got a crazy stat for you, one that might even make you cry a little bit. Out of all the stuff we read while learning, we take action on only 5% of it. Oh, and that includes the online courses you pay for as well. That's why Tina Pettis and her team over at Tenacious have developed something a little more hands-on. They aren't calling it a course because they refuse to let you sit idly by and let the 95% float away. Instead, they've created what they are calling a brand guide, and it has this name for a reason. They are promising to guide you through every aspect of your marketing, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, two-week-long course. Nope, it literally never ends. Every month, they will be focusing on a different aspect aspect of your marketing that you need to give some love to. They will show you how and will facilitate a community for you to ask questions and grow. While guiding you, they will hold you accountable along the way, making sure you flip the numbers and walk away with 95% instead of 5%. Because this is an ongoing community, they will only open the doors a few times a year. So be sure to grab your seat now by heading to www.brandguide.tenaciousedge.com and find out what they have going over there. Happy branding. Love Tenacious. Thanks again for sponsoring. You guys have been incredible. With that, let me tell you about Brandon Webb and why I am so excited to have him on the show. He's a former U.S. Navy SEAL sniper. Yes, you heard that right. 
pretty motivated guy, I would imagine, right? New York Times bestselling author, experimental aircraft pilot, wow, and entrepreneur. He's the founder of the Hurricane Group, a U.S.-based media and e-commerce company focusing on outdoor, military entertainment, news, and clubs. Brandon, again, welcome. We're so excited to have you. You know, before we dive into the questions, though, I would love for you to tell a little bit about your story, your background. You've done some incredible things, and tell us about you. Sure. Try and give you the the short version. (laughs) So I'll give you the compressed life story of my journey into the SEAL teams and then kind of into entrepreneurship. I was born in Canada. My mom is a U.S. citizen. My dad's Canadian. Uh, They had my sister and myself in Canada, about 10 years old. My dad, who's an entrepreneur as well as my mom, lost his first business. It was a construction company built from scratch. Moved us. This was during the savings and loan crisis in the 70s. So he moved us onto a sailboat, a 47-foot catch, because his, my mom and him had this dream to, to take their kids cruising around the world, which, which we did. Um, I was homeschooled on and off, grew up working on boats. In California, we ended up moving uh, to Ventura, California, and, and lived on the boat, went to school on the boat. Then, because I'd grown up working on a scuba diving boat, had a lot of boating and diving experience in my my uh, parents had announced to the family, we're taking this big trip to Australia. And I was kind of reluctant. I was about to turn 16 and had a really good job and independence. And the last thing I wanted to do was go on this sailing trip. Sure. And I went reluctantly. I uh, had a great time. But towards the end of our Mexico trip, we were going to shoot over across to the South Pacific to uh, French Polynesia and, and the uh, Society Islands. And the Marquesas is the first island chain. My dad and I start arguing about everything. So long story longer, he asked me to leave the boat in Tahiti. When we made it to Tahiti, we just kind of reached a boiling point. <laughs> so I left home at 16 and called the owner of the boat that I grew up working on and said, hey, Bill, can I, I finished my junior year of high school. Can I work on the boat and finish school? And he said, yeah, come on back. So I, I sailed on a boat to, from Morea, uh, which is just south of Bora Bora, to Hilo, Hawaii, then flew back, you know, got back to work, finished my senior year of high school, had really good mentorship on the on the scuba diving boat that I worked on. We we take recreational divers out to the island for scuba diving and but my friends off the boat were really getting into drugs and just going down the wrong path and I was fortunate enough to have good mentors around me and learn a lesson early on, like you are who you hang out with. And I knew I had to change that environment. So I'd always wanted to be a pilot, but my grades weren't great. I didn't see like an easy path into the military, into a you know scholarship program. So I, I ended up finding the Navy SEALs and became fascinated with that and found out I could enlist and go, go try out. So I joined the Navy and long story I, longer, <laughs> I became a Navy SEAL. I was a search and rescue swimmer first. Came a Navy SEAL in 1997, showed up to class 215. We had 220 candidates, graduated 23 originals. So I was a part of that. Went to SEAL Team 3. This was pre-9-11 and then was a sniper and then deployed right after the September 11th attacks. And was just in an interesting time period of change and growth in the SEAL community. Ended up coming back from a deployment to Afghanistan and taking over the sniper course as course manager. So I was a head instructor and really got into when we reinvented our sniper program, 
I got into mental management because we'd work with a consultant called Laney Basham. He's one of the kind of forefathers of, of mental management. He's a gold medalist and really gravitated to that. And then when I got out, I decided I, I was burnt out in 2006. I just had worked so hard for 13 years straight with really no break and my marriage was suffering. And so I, was, I said, you know, I've got to get out and take a break and try and save my marriage, which didn't work, <laughs> but I still have a, a great relationship with my kid's mom, but I end up getting out, starting a business, uh, raising money, just learning it from scratch, like writing a business plan and, and really diving in head first and making a ton of mistakes. It was mm-hmm. a business to, and I talk about it in total focus, it was a business to buy a big piece of land and have a training area for uh, law enforcement and military to train, like driver training and shooting ranges and it was a great business plan but the timing was off and we had a lot of political opposition uh, and it was mm-hmm. in California uh, we ended up losing the whole project we got the project approved and then an environmental group sued the county for approving the project and it just turned into a legal mess and now this is 2000 I think this is around 2008 so you're in another you know financial crisis in the US the housing market just completely collapsed and nobody really had an appetite to put money into the business, let alone a business that was had a real estate component. So sure. I had to walk away from it and lost everything. Like lost my own life savings, friends and family money. Uh, it was brutal. And I just remember sitting, you know, and, and then a month later, my wife at the time said, I, I've had enough. <laughs> I, I want to be with a nine to five guy. So, you know, so I was divorced. And sitting in a you know house alone and going, what do I do? And um, I just dug deep. I said, you know, there's only one thing to do is learn from my mistake and right. dust my pick myself up, dust myself off, and figure out what my next my next business is going to be. I knew I wanted to to give it another go, but I also said, you know, I've got to take a job. I've got you know I've got uh, kids to take care of and obligations. And so I took an executive job in the defense industry, which is, again, a great experience. But, you know, putting on a suit and tie and going to the office every day, was just like, it was a nightmare mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> so, um, I hear you. But a great, great experience. I actually had a really great uh, boss who was a woman uh, named Elisa and learned a t- tremendous amount from her. Uh, and, you know, so took my lessons learned failing and now I'm working in the executive world. And, and I was a business development director responsible for a, a classified piece of business that was worth about $40 million a year to this company and, and growing that and, and adding new opportunities. But I knew, I was like, okay, what do I what do? I do? And I, I started writing as a hobby and a form of therapy, and I, I just, I like creating content. Mm-hmm. I got into blogging. Blogging got me into digital media. I really enjoyed it. I was blogging part-time for practically nothing for military.com and and grew uh, one of their blogs to the to the number one blog in their portfolio, and just had a blast doing it. And I said, you know what, I can do this as a business. And so, about the time I released my first memoir called The Red Circle in 2012, I launched my first website called Softrep.com, and it it was a site about the world of special ops. Which in 2012, if you believe it or not, there's really no site on the internet where you could go learn about the special operations community. Um, you mm-hmm. could buy the books, the video games, and the movie, you know the movies were out, but you couldn't really. There was no outlet on the internet, and so I just kind of built 
company around military style content and started doing television, all digital, the same way Discovery Channel and Nat Geo does documentaries. We, we do and produce that stuff ourselves and charge a subscription. And then just, I've just grown the business over five years. Uh, and that's, you know, today um, I run Hurricane Group and more media and e-commerce. So we kind of, we have a really great business in that. We have our audience that's highly engaged and we, we've monetized the audience through digital subscriptions for content and through uh, e-commerce and a subscription product we offer called the Crate Club, which is kind of a men's, you know, survival outdoor gear box that we deliver monthly. And so we've, We've gone from, in 2012, when I started a company, from 95% advertising revenue uh, to about 15% advertising revenue, and the rest is all uh, kind of organic and paid acquisition revenue that we control ourselves. It's recurring and subscription-based, so it's a very stable, profitable uh, business, and we're not kind of at the at the mercy of the digital advertising world, which which is in a really weird state of flux right now because of the Facebook and Google really disrupting uh, the ad industry. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, use, I spend six figures a month on Facebook and, and make a million or more. Right, yep. It's, you know, knowing, and that's, you know, we can talk about that later, but that developing that skill set for paid customer acquisition on social media is really where I saw my sales double right away. Got it. Well, that's a perfect segue. First of all, congratulations. That's my story. I, say that. I <laughs> yeah, love it. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, I, and you've written multiple books. Total Focus, I think, is your latest book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Writing is something I, I still love to do. And I have my run and my stories to tell, my time in the military. And now I'm kind of transitioning to what I'm, I love and am passionate about today. And it's you know, running and building a company and using a lot of my lessons learned outside the Navy, but also the lessons I learned as a SEAL, military leader, and sniper instructor, and applying those to to business. Right. Incredible. It's fantastic. And so, so many questions to ask, but you kind of alluded to it already. So, when you when you launched this the, the latest business, well, let me take a step back. First of all, thank you for sharing that the first business imploded because sure. it happens to so many people, <laughs> and they give up. Like, they never go back. I mean, yeah. my husband and I, I was just sharing a story on stage yesterday on, you know, we got hammered by the the housing crisis. We were in California at the time and it was, it was pretty ugly. It was very ugly, right? Like pretty much lost everything, looked at bankruptcy, had to, didn't yeah. file, paid all these investors back, but it was not, not a fun time, but we learned a lot of lessons, right? And we were reflecting yesterday, like, what are the lessons we learned? What did we do different? This, what are we doing different this time? And, you know, this, the second go around has been a lot more fun so far, knock on wood, right? But, you know, we know the world is, we're in an interesting time, so who knows how things will unfold. What I'm curious yeah. about is that when you launched your latest business and you were talking about a little bit about this, but um, two questions. What limiting beliefs did you have about sales or selling if you ever had them? And then tell us, you know, think back to when you doubled your sales for the first time. You were talking about Facebook ads and this is, sounds like it was kind of driving other parts of your business and what you're offering now. But when did you double for the first time? And what the, like, was there a moment when you realized, wow, we really have something here? Sure. So I can honestly say I don't, I don't recall ever having a limiting belief around sale. Um, I've always been good at sales. You know, and probably I remember my COO now who I met uh, when he was running Maxim Magazine. We used, he still comments today. He's like, yeah, I, 
Brandon would come visit me in New York and talk about selling content and what he was selling. And he's like, I would never even think to sell that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and he was running Maxim Magazine. And he, and he couldn't believe like some of the projects that we were getting funded for, you know, we, the first couple of years, we had maybe 2 million unique visitors. So it was, it was serious traffic, but it wasn't 20 to 100 million unique visitors. It was, it was not a massive media company. And we we're getting really high ad rates. And I think it's because you just don't know what you don't know. And I, I didn't really have any limitations around sales. I was, I was really creative. And it's, it's one thing today I still struggle with, with my team is they, they constantly bring up limiting factors. I'm like, Hey guys, I don't want to hear it. Like, I just want to hear you. <laughs> I, I like don't follow the herd and the market of sales, like invent and create new opportunities. There's, I see so many entrepreneurs pitch because I'm an angel investor. They'll pitch me a business. I'm like, there's nothing new here. You're just copying another idea. Like bring something fresh and new to the table. Don't just copy what's working in the marketplace. And so I see that a lot in sales where, you know, you want to walk to a sales meeting and come up with something that will blow somebody's mind away. Not just presenting right. just the stale, you know, ordinary, <laughs> nothing special about a sales pitch. You know, it's like it doesn't take much to really be creative from a sales. Right. Okay. So I wanted to know, do you think sales, because you would, I mean, I, this is what I do for a living. And it's like 95% of people I talk to have some serious limiting beliefs, even if they're pretty, pretty decent at selling. Do you think part of the reason that you don't have any limitations is because that of your background as a U.S. Navy SEAL? Like, is, is everything after being a SEAL easy? I mean, really, like to me, it would seem like, like maybe it just seems like it's just, a, it's a no brainer. I don't know. Is that part of it? Yeah, I I think it definitely is a part of it because even before I went through SEAL training, you know, I had an idea of what the human body and mind was capable of. And when I went through SEAL training and and, and Hell Week, which is where they keep you up for five and a half days right. with with no sleep, and it's not just like hey, stay awake. You're doing you're swimming two miles in the ocean and two in the morning, and you know, running ten twelve miles. So it's it's a lot of physical work and, and dangerous sometimes. But I realized, wow, we walk around and really have no idea what we are capable of. So I, I think that mindset I just carry with me to the to the business world. And I'm gonna I'll be completely frank with you. Not all SEALs transition well because there's a balance between knowing what works in the in the civilian kind of business world from a SEAL, like what traits work and what what don't like the SEAL community on active duty? It's it's all men. It's alpha male, and there's been moments where guys argue and they take it out back and slug it out. Well, that doesn't work in the civilian world, right? Sure, right, <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> as, as much as sometimes you know, I wish it did. It doesn't, and so <laughs> me too. And I see it. I see guys get out and they they kind of they're like a bull in a china shop, and I'm just like, oh my god. I, you know, here we go again, and uh, it's just the struggle. And I, I forget what got me on the on the, <laughs> the tangent there, but the point is, there there are things for sure that I learned in the, in the SEAL community and, and took from the SEAL community. But I I honestly I had great examples of entrepreneurs growing up, and and my mother was an incredible entrepreneur. She just recently sold her her business. She was a coffee and tea manufacturer. She made uh, high end drink mixes for the indie coffee shops. You know, like big manufactured it in California and shipped it to, you know, all these shops all over the place. And my grandmother, her, my mom's mom, 
her husband died, my mom's dad died very young, and she had to go out and she started a collection agency and rolled up like a bunch of collection agencies in the sixties as a woman and wow. and actually rebranded it in the 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 year I was born. She named her parent collection agency Brandon Tyler and Webb. And because it had a male name and it was just easier back then for a woman to kind of do that. And so I had, you know, looking back and reflecting, I had some really powerful people. And and that's again where I talked about the importance of our environment. And we, we just naturally adapt to, to our environment. So I'm thankful to have some really good examples growing up and being in those environments. I remember my grandmother taking me to her office and just showing me everything. Um, and people, you know, pounding phones trying to collect. So, but yeah, the SEAL stuff for sure, a lot of, a lot of really, you know, great leadership lessons and how to structure organizations so they're lean and nimble. Like you can still be, you know, powerful and, and grow revenue and, and, but still like how do you, how do you grow a large organization and, and really maintain your autonomy and, and not build in a bunch of bureaucracy that, that affects your ability to, to move quickly in the marketplace. So that's something that's always, right. always on my mind. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing and giving us that perspective and how cool that your mom and your grandmother um, were entrepreneurs. And like you said, you know, you you really rise to the occasion of who is around you and you were surrounded by your path that entrepreneurship written all over it. So speaking of that, so going back, that second question I'd asked you was about, you know, when you doubled your sales for the first time. So here's my let's let's bring this together. So like think back to that moment. And what are the two top strategies that you used to double your sales at that time? So. The first time, you know, I can see the first time we doubled our sales was probably from, it was in the second year of business. And I don't want to, I don't want to chalk it up to luck, but I think we were just in a really good time from a digital advertising perspective where there was a lot of money in the, in the ad market for digital. Uh, A lot of the big uh, global ad agencies, especially in New York, they had big digital budgets. And the, the executives were, they didn't understand digital and they've come from print and television. So they would just give a junior, you know, associate fresh out of college, $20 million budget, go spend it on digital. We don't know it. We don't know digital. Here you go. And so the money was flowing and, you know, and it was, I think because we had good relationships and I, I went out of my way to, and I know like the, it's very important to have that face to face because you build familiarity. There's plenty of books on that are science and database that prove that familiarity builds trust. You know, I'm just finishing up uh, Jonah Berger's uh, book on invisible influence. He, he wrote Contagion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talked about, they did this experiment in college where they had kind of average looking women attend class uh, that weren't really in the class. And then some of them attended with more frequency than others. And when when the students were polled and asked who were the best looking, uh, men and women, they everybody chose the girl that had been to class the most. She was the most familiar. And so, you know, I've I knew early on that relationships are huge. And I would fly to New York to meet with our big clients, and and so we were getting some really good ad campaigns. But I, you know. So that I, you know, I take partial credit for that, but part of it was just being in the right situation where I feel like our sales doubled again and we really like had a, a hand in it was in, it was, uh, last year, 2016, where we, 
developed an in-house capability to do paid customer acquisition on social media, primarily Facebook and Instagram. We do some stuff on Google, but really develop develop a skill set in it because it's one thing to go on and boost the post. It's another to like run 50 simultaneous ad campaigns across multiple audiences, forensically target and monitor, you know, your customer acquisition cost versus your lifetime value. And, and that's really the ratio that we manage to the, the CAC. We call it the CAC to LTV ratio. And we manage it to profitability. There are a lot of companies tech companies that acquire customers at a loss, but they're using, you know, they're venture backed. They've got a ton of money and they're buying, they're basically buying their revenue, counting on being sold and applying all sorts of crazy like valuation metrics to their, to the, it it sounds crazy, but I I have a friend, Nick, who's a co-founder of ZocDoc. He's the, he's the, uh, also the CTO, I mean, billion dollar company. And he's like, yeah, I've known companies that will go, well, Lifetime value of the customer is $400, but we know that we're going to get a 10x valuation. So let's spend up to 7, 8x past what our lifetime value is, knowing that we're still going to be in the money and when we get acquired. And I'm just like, whoa. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, it's crazy, right? I'm like, yeah, but people do it. So, but that, that was the point where I knew that, okay, we've got, you know, we've got something here because we, we went from you know several million to just under five million to and then five million to to twenty and so it's like that kind of scale was incredible and, and scary too like you you run up against problems like we our biggest problem was funding growth. I had to hack it I hacked it with my credit cards because our bank who we've been banking with for five years, and my friend is the owner was like, well. You know, we're a traditional bank. We kind of don't understand what you're doing. And, and so we'll give you a, a small line of credit. Silicon, like a bank like Silicon Valley said, look, we'd give you $2 million line of credit right now, but you're not venture backed. And that's our model. We want venture backed companies that makes us, you know, it gives us a, a lower risk threshold. And I'm sitting there like stuck in the middle having, you know, basically started this thing with 10 grand on my own money and going, oh, sh- you know, crap. How do we buy inventory? How do we spend $200,000 on Facebook with no credit? So I just, you know, I got my credit cards together and we would, you know, spend, pay off the next day, spend, pay off the yeah. next day and then ask for more credit and more credit. And, you know, now we're managing, you know, quarter million dollar ad spend or more with, you know, our credit cards in the beginning. So, but that was a, well, big, it's such a big problem. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. I think we've, we've all been there, <laughs> you know. We're like launching another marketing campaign right now. And it's a little bit of, you know, we're sometimes the credit cards come out and we're out spending what we thought we were going to, but we're bringing in, you know, new clients, new leads, we're testing and, you know, it's the life of the entrepreneur. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, the, the point being though, for all of our listeners, I mean, clearly, Brandon, you had a, you had a strategy. You knew that you were going to extend, but there was money going to come, there was money coming back in. So thank you. I mean, strategies, you know, relationships, critical. And you said something important because we talk about this all the time on the show, the importance of getting in front of people, setting a real appointment, getting in front of people, and really being willing to do whatever it takes. Whenever we have sales trainings, we're always talking about, like, how can you go above and beyond? And like you said, I think you said something to this effect, that it's not hard to go above and beyond. It's not hard to differentiate yourself because no one else is trying that hard. Believe me, no one else is trying. Even cold calling, we teach our clients how to cold call. And they do it. They get in front of Fortune 500 because no one else is really cold calling. People are afraid to do it. They don't know how to do it well. But I love what you said about making a difference. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sales is just that. I read a really interesting article about email campaigns, and it was like you can't email your audience enough because when you look at the data, like the int- the intuition, and I had this conversation with my my head of marketing, Adam. I'm like, hey, we need to email our audience more. He's like, no, we're gonna we're going to oversaturate them, and they're gonna unsubscribe. I was like, but what does the data say? The data says when we email with more frequency, revenue goes up. And that was the purpose of this guy's article I read. He's like, you you just have to hit people enough times, and eventually you'll catch them. You'll catch them in the right situation where they're not busy with life or kids or business. They'll be like, oh, this is interesting to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna make the purchase. You know, I'll be completely candid with you. I'm I'm a single guy, and I was I had interest in this girl, and I was just persistent. I was respectful, but persistent. She's like, and I asked her it. At dinner, our first date, it's like, why? So what made you change your mind or, or why did it take so long? She's like, I really like the persistence that showed that you're interested in me. <laughs> I just laughed. I'm like, that's sales 101. <laughs> right. Like eventually you sure. convert. Well, that's so true. I mean, I, when I was in outside sales, I would sometimes call people, I don't know, tens of tens plus plus times. And I would just keep calling. I would send them things because I really wanted to meet with them. And I was honest about it. And I would always hear, you're the most persistent salesperson we've ever met. <laughs> and sometimes I scared them a little bit. But that was it. Like, we people want to know that you actually care. And on the email yeah, list, well. we find, too, that if people aren't interested, like, they're going to opt out. And who cares? They're probably not your client anyway. So it's just, it's true. Yeah. Okay, we only have a few minutes left, Brandon. I could talk to you all day. But yeah, um, I want to give you time. I want to hear from you. You're an expert in execution and, of course, many, many other business areas. You talked about mental management at the beginning, too. I wanted to circle back to that. So if you could tie mental management in and what that means to you, I know you learned that from someone else, but how you apply it, and then just two to three strategies that you teach your clients or that you would tell us, that you would share with us on how to be successful in business. Sure. So, you know, mental management, I learned when we were, when I was on active duty in the SEAL team's invited to be a part of a, a core cadre that was overhauling and, and modernizing our, our Navy SEAL sniper program. So we went and looked at other sniper schools, the Olympic arena, like what are the gold medalists learning? What are their practices, habits, coaches, professional sports? And, and one of the consultants we brought in was a real pioneer in mental management. His name is Lanny Basham. And I talk about him in Total Focus. And he developed this system because back in the 70s, when he was supposed, to, he was a world champion. He went to the Olympics for marksmanship, and he shot. Was supposed to win gold. He, he had been heckled by these Russians on a bus and completely lost it mentally. And he still shot silver, but he's like, it was the worst day of my life. I spent four years. You only get so many shots, and you know, and I just crumbled. And he went back to all these psychologists, and at the time, positive psychology wasn't a thing. It is it is today. All these psychologists just tried to make him feel good about being second place, and he's like, that's unacceptable. So he spent a year, because he had access to the Olympic team, he went and surveyed all the gold medalists and found like these common traits, and he built this program, um, and he shared it with us. And he had, I'll just touch on some of the, the key points is, the first and probably biggest is self-talk. It's how we, outside people, it's just natural, I think, human nature to kind of be skeptical and say certain things. I mean, I can't tell you how many people thought or and told me I was crazy to be a SEAL and how I was going to, I was going to fail. Nobody passes. So you get, you have to deal with that as it is. And then there's the internal talk that happens and it's like, I'm not good enough. I, I was never good at math. And, and when you have those conversations inside yourself, that's a big problem. So 
learning how to change the way that we talk to ourselves and that inner voice is huge and like getting rid of it. And, and it happens all the time. I still deal with it today, but I have now I've developed a habit when it creeps up, I constantly I counter it immediately with positive affirmation. And so that's a big thing, self-talk. The other thing I would say mental management is mental visualization, like visualizing. Even when I go give a, a public talk, I'll kind of visualize the venue, going up on stage. It's natural being a public speaker. I always still feel a little bit nervous before I go on, but I, I harness that. I recognize that that nervous energy is good and it's just mm-hmm. a part of the process and I kind of harness it. But I, I visualize the whole thing prior. And it's so it's when I do go on stage and talk, I've already been there and kind of rehearsed everything. And, and so that's a big thing, especially when you're giving like a presentation or a, a talk to whoever, because people generally have a fear of public speaking. But I would say, you know, in positive mindset is another really, really big thing. How you talk to your team, your kids, yourself is so big. We had a negative teaching style. And there's a time and a place for that. Like boot camp, you want to tear someone down and build them back up, just like SEAL training. You want to see who can kind of deal with adversity and and take it on the chin and, and overcome. But there's a time and a place for it. In most cases, positive style of teaching versus negative is way better and it's an it's i'll break it down in a coaching scenario so if you're coaching i coached little league for a while and if i'm the coach and a kid is getting ready to go to bat and a negative style of coaching would be hey hey steve don't strike out whatever you do don't don't strike out and you know what's that poor little kid thinking of he's now you've implanted this vision in his head of striking out Whereas I could say, look, hit it out of the park. And if you say that one's negative, one's positive, now, now he's thinking, well, I'm going to get up there and just smash this thing. Even if he strikes out, he's, he's in a, the right mindset to succeed. And those are the, those are what separates, those kind of habits separate gold from silver and the champions from, from the rest of the pack. And so when we started, we were failing 30% of the SEAL sniper students. So these are already qualified, highly motivated, Navy SEALs coming to our sniper program. When we changed from negative style of teaching to positive, we started graduating everybody overnight. Wow. Yeah, wow. It was incredible to see. And so that's, you know, seeing it play out that way really stuck with me. And now when I'm, when I'm giving a talk, whether it's to my kids, to my team, uh, I always make sure that I, I take the positive versus the negative because it makes such a difference. Right. And, and, and people notice like, wow, you're, you're, you know, you're extremely positive. And I'm always looking at, you know, how can I reframe this conversation in a positive way versus negative? Sure. Well, and it allows you to then see all of the opportunities that are there. So that's brilliant. I mean, we talk about that so much on this show. And my latest book is called The Belief Zone. And it's all about, it's all about this, but it's so great to hear you say it. I know, (laughs) I think some of our listeners get tired of me saying it, (laughs) but from a Navy SEAL that you use self-talk mental visualization and positive mindset so powerful and also the piece about thank you for sharing you know fear of public speaking because we would all imagine that that's easy for you too but you're right I mean it's it's um it certainly was one of my greatest fears and in fact I had glossophobia which I didn't even know it was a thing but it's the fear of public speaking like death definitely afraid and I had to overcome that and I get paid to speak I mean that's what I do for a living so it's, it's being yeah. on the other side of that so Brandon, thank you. I, before we wrap up, I know people are going to want to get more. So how can they get your books? How can they learn more about you and how to work with you or your company? Sure. So my professional profile is, is on my website. It's Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N, Tyler Webb, uh, W-E-B-B. 
com. So just Brandon Tyler Webb, my full name.com. And I have my business profile, all my books that I've written and all my social media are, are wrapped into that site. Um, and they could, you know, they could follow and, and see everything from there. Okay. Fantastic. Well, again, I want to thank you for being here today. We wish you all the best. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I hope, hope your audience enjoys. I'm sure they will. And I want to thank all of our listeners all around the world. We're thinking of you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. You can go to our website, salescoachnow.com, and see our upcoming events. And we also have a free download, Sales Secrets of the Top 10%. It's a video series with me, so you can get that there to give you some additional inspiration. If you haven't grabbed The Belief Zone yet, it's available on Amazon. And our official red carpet book launch is going to be November 2nd here in Minneapolis, and we'd love to see you out there. I want to thank you again. Thanks, everyone. Make this your best year yet. Thank you for listening to Double Your Sales. To get even more information to take your sales to the next level, visit us at salescoachnow.com. That's salescoachnow.com. Join us again next week to learn how to double your sales.